Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod. My co-host is Robbie Dowling. Today we are celebrating the Hokies' first victory of the season. What a game. I think it's I think it's awesome, but you, you can't jump in too soon because that might be part of my toast. I'm not sure. Oh, okay, so. okay, yeah. I mean, that's that's why we're we should probably just get it then. You know, we're going right into it. Well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll Let's jump. Let's do this shot. Let's do the shot. Uh, uh, it's um, a big surprise. Wild turkey as always, but this week is our first win of uh, of the season. So uh, we'll also do a toast. To, to the win and uh, Brennan Motley with um, his first full game start, um, which I thought went pretty well. So excited about that. So cheers to, to Brennan's performance, the whole team, and our first win. Cheers. One and one. Ooh. I think oh. we're going to be pros by the end of the, end of the season. Yeah, so today we're going to bring – uh, our Furman recap, as well as our Purdue preview, uh, headed to West Lafayette, Indiana this week to face the Boilermakers. Um, a once-in-a-lifetime trip for I, anybody that's going to that game. I know. And then we don't play them again. It's not a home-and-home home, like in the traditional sense. We don't play them again until like 2021 or something. Yeah. It might, come to lane. Yeah. I, I don't know if that – that might have been a reschedule or, or one of our games we got yeah. pushed back for somebody else. I don't know. We but could face a lot of Big Ten teams over the next five to six to seven years. But uh, the Purdue, the next Purdue game in lane won't be for a while. But I think you know some other big games on the schedule next year. So maybe they had to make some room. In any case, there was a couple of news items that came out this week with regard to – the Hokies, um, one of which I think was – this is probably the biggest story was that Andrew Motuapuaka, the our middle linebacker, who we's, we've mentioned many times on the podcast already this season, mostly in, in the sense that we want him to play better. Uh, <laughs> he's now injured, and now we're bummed that he's hurt because we're – kind of have a little bit of a depth issue at middle linebacker. We really took that one on the chin. It's just, you know, talk about looking at gift horse in the mouth right there. I think we're going to be paying for that one. Our backup situation is Sean Huselkamp. Uh, he'll, he's going to step in. That's what Bud has said. Uh, he's the same age as Mo Tupaka. He's a redshirt sophomore. A um, little bit smaller, a little bit faster, but he did tear his ACL last year in the Ohio State game. But I like Husel Camp. I think he can step in and do a good job. Two years ago in the spring game, he was making a lot of plays. And I was thinking, like, who is that skinny white kid, like, making all these tackles? And it was Husel Camp. And he was good enough to play in that Ohio State game. And, unfortunately, he tore his ACL in our win in, in the horseshoe. Right on special teams. Yeah. Yeah, that was too bad. But, uh, but I think he'll step in and do a good job. And with the way – we were kind of crushing Moto for a little while there. He might, you know, it might not be that much of a drop off. And I think in some ways he's a little bit better. Um, he doesn't have the size that Moto does. He's probably about just as fast. Um, he's an inch taller, but he's up to 212, and Moto plays at like 230, 235. So lose a little bit of size there. Uh, another fun thing that happened this week was we found out there's a offensive line trophy called the Fool's Hammer. And it's awarded to the best offensive lineman after each game. It's that thing's gigantic, inscri- inscribed with uh, various uh, yeah. You know, it's different a phrases. it's a silver meat tenderizer is what <laughs> it is. They went to Bed Bath and Beyond and they found the coolest looking meat tenderizer, and now they called it the Fool's Hammer. I mean, admittedly, it is kind of cool looking. Yeah, it's but, large. Uh, but Wyatt Teller won it for the Furman game for his uh, killer performance. He had 
Seven pins and 19 knockdowns. That's right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable production. Uh, he's living up to everything we hoped he would be this year so far. The offensive line has looked good. Um, and I guess in the first game it was Gallo that ended up winning. He right? did. He had it in the first game. And, it's pretty uh, impressive for a guy making his first career start. Yeah, I want that to move around the whole offensive line. I, you know, Anybody holding on to it for too long, I want that to get spread around. Let's hope the whole we got a lot of depth there. Um, other than that, in terms of news, there really wasn't a whole lot. I mean, just some guys are a little bit nicked up. Uh, but yeah. that's basically it for the news. So I guess we should jump into our Furman recap. Uh, what did you think of the game? What stood out to you, Robbie? Um, well, what stood out to me first off, uh, I'll, I'll call everybody out was the freak out that occurred on Twitter in the first, uh, the first quarter of the game, pretty much the first half of the guilty game. as charged. <laughs> Pete, Pete might've been involved with that. I was, I was at a, a bachelor party sitting on the couch, nice and relaxed. Uh, I wasn't at a bar in an atmosphere that might've got me too hyped for, for it. So maybe I was looking at things a little bit differently than the rest. Uh, thought the first half, you know, I had the same opinion most people did. First half was slow. We would have liked to see more points on the board, and I thought the second half looked really impressive overall. I agree. I really liked the way we look in the second half. Um, yes, that was me on Twitter freaking out, uh, calling out Leffler and everyone else for only seven first-half offensive points. But... <laughs> Motley really showed me something in the second half. At one point, I think he went 9 of 10 on his passes, finished 16 for 24, which is, you know, 66.6%, which is something I wasn't sure he was going to be able to do. And I know it's Furman, but, hey, he looked pretty good. He was making what looked like good reads and getting the ball out of his hands and fairly accurate. He missed Isaiah Ford on a long pass, and there were some other misses, but, hey, I'll take it. And the guy's first start where he's really thrown the football, 16 for 24, I'll take that. Um, another thing I thought was uh, McMillan looks like a number one back to me. I mean, and the best back on the team. He he was a beast. He he played really really well. I mean, I think he ended up ninety eight yards with six carries, um, and you know, really he he came through in a in a way that and his just this the way that he got to the edge and his his speed and doing it. I mean. He doesn't look like a uh, former quarterback that's gone uh, running back by any stretch of imagination. The kid has wheels on him. So. I agree. I mean, I thought he looked great. He had that one long play, which was 63 yards down the sideline. Uh, that would have been Tech's longest play from scrimmage in 2014, and we got it in our second game this year, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, I like his big playability. I love his speed, and he looks like he really is able to follow his blocks and find the holes. So I really like what I saw from McMillan. The defense – I thought stepped up in this game. They they looked, I guess they said they looked like they should. Yeah, they looked like that. We should expect them to look uh, minus a few run defense issues, maybe on the edge. It's always it seems to be on the edge. I mean that's and that comes down to I think we all agreed that's the the linebackers at the end of the day not setting setting the edge and we need to fix that because now we got Furman picking on us on in that in that after seeing it in the Ohio State game. So I think we just got to be really careful there. I agree. Uh, but I will say, I think Bud was playing kind of vanilla. He wasn't really throwing everything out there, but nevertheless, we should have the athletes to be covering the edge against Furman. You're right. Uh, Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips as advertised 
they really sh- they were awesome in this game. Well, Cam Phillips, he didn't have a lot in an Ohio State game, no, so I was kept going backwards. <laughs> yeah, kept going backwards. But I was super super excited to see him get into the game. Had had the really long catch um, uh, that was you know I thought very impressive. Um, and Isaiah Ford also stepped up his game. He had that tough one in the in the end zone. Oh, that was awesome. Which, which I thought was a fantastic catch. Also, just to jump back, Cam Phillips uh, on the pylon on the on when he was diving right near the. Uh, the yeah, end zone. They, they reviewed it and they didn't give him the touchdown, but it hit, the ball hit the pylon, and the question was whether his right foot had hit the ground before the ball hit the pylon. But an amazing effort. He stretched. Very out good that. effort. It was really, really close. It was called a touchdown initially, and they took it back. It was all good. We got in on the next play. I think it was Trey that got in on that one. Um, a few guys that didn't start that I thought looked really good were Woody Barron and uh, Adonis Alexander, who is our backup rover behind Fry, but. Made an interception. Looked like he basically caused another fumble that, again, got reviewed and taken back. Um, but those two guys really stepped up. I, I thought Barron looked really good. Yeah. And Adonis, I, I think he, he looked fantastic. Uh, we've, the coaches have been really high on him, and he, he showed up in that game. And then Woody Barron, I, he was all over the place. I think he recorded a sack, which I think we've only had you know three so far this yeah. year, zero in the Ohio State game, three the last game. He had one of them, which uh, obviously he came in a little bit later in the game. You know, it was probably – but some people were saying if he was with the ones, what else would he have been able to do, which right. is another point. Just because, you know, you're out there you know with the twos – yeah, and it's a little bit of garbage time. If he's out there with the ones, he can be even he's more He's our third DT, but uh, really it's Maddie, Marshall, and Barron. And those three are like 1A, 1B, 1C. They're all really good. And now you put different guys in if you want a different size on the field and that kind of thing. But Woody and Marshall are super quick defensive tackles, and I really like what they've shown us so far. Uh, tight ends. Uh, I thought Bucky, Bucky got, got on the board. <laughs> I know Bucky after Ofer in the Ohio state game, he had that, the big catch. Um, I mean, he 46 was six wa- yards he was wide open. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if that you could call that blown coverage. There wasn't anybody within you know 15 yards of him, but it was, it was great to see him get out there and start getting his feet wet and, and start getting the ball. And then he, uh, was sitting on the sideline, which made me really nervous at first, but just a, a leg contusion is what they're calling it. And he'll be fine. Uh, how about the QBs? We got to see Motley, who we already talked about, but Lawson and Durkin both got in the game. Both primarily ran, and Durkin ran angry. I'll tell you what. It looks, looked, reminded me of Tebow. I know that's an easy comparison to make because it's just like a hard-running white quarterback. But... I don't, and his tattoos are yeah, a little intimidating as well. But Durkin looked angry out there, and he definitely was – he impressed me with his running, running ability, uh, which we knew that he had that, uh, yeah. but it was cool to see. Lawson, he looked like a freshman playing in what I said earlier about our defense, a vanilla offense. Yep. Uh, that's just how it looked. He missed some guys. He made a few nice completions, maybe a few bad reads. He didn't really, he wasn't very decisive as yeah. he was running, but once he started running, it looks slow, but it's not slow because he's moving. His legs are so long, he's moving faster than you think. Yeah. I thought his running looked better than his passing. He had, I think, almost three in a row that were in the dirt, um, which, you know, I think really came down to his technique. And you know, he was throwing, you know, off the wrong foot in some instances. You could almost see yeah, it. And, I mean, it was, and, looked, like but it looked like a freshman. So 
he's going to continue to get into the game. Agreed. I'm not going to call it one way or the other. Obviously, he's the, he's a future of the program in a lot of ways, but I'm not going to call it this early. I yeah. hope he keeps getting in the game, and I hope he keeps developing. I lo- from what I saw, you know, I like just as much as I didn't like, but like, how much are you supposed to expect from a guy uh, coming in as a backup um, in his first game? But uh, Tua, he, I think he was our second leading rusher. I think he had 50 yards, and McMillan had like 98 yards. But I think he? Lawson had 50 yards, and he was right after him. It's impressive. Um, and another solid performance from the O-line. No sacks and no tackle for loss. And I think that's probably the most important of anything that came out of the Furman game was we protected our quarterbacks, um, and that's just a refreshing change. I thought it looked really, really good. I thought there was a lot of protection in there. If you remember last week, I said one of the keys I wanted to see in this game was Motley getting the time to sit in the pocket and get comfortable, and and that happened in this game. At first, it didn't because he was just he was trying to get his feet underneath him. I don't even think it had to do with the O line. Maybe a little nerves, a little nerves. But once he he got used into it in the second uh, second half, he got his feet underneath him. So I thought the O line was great. I thought. Um, in addition, I never want to leave these guys out. Special teams, Sly, I saw the stat that he's kicked nine out of nine for touchbacks so far starting the season. This kid's got a boot on him. I like that. I like that. And they also had uh, Santa Maria in there getting a little bit of work, kicking a uh, a couple, maybe a couple kickoffs and a field goal. I'm not, I can't even remember That's exactly. Right. But uh, I like Sly, and Frank confirmed today, like he's our kicker going forward. They're just trying to get Santa Maria some work. Um, overall, a solid performance. Uh Defense only gave up three points. Can't complain too much about that. It was it was good to see that second half really, you know, made me think what I thought in the beginning of the season that this team is capable of a lot, even with Motley at QB, and I was reassured of that after watching the game. Before we jump into Purdue, I want to ask Robbie what he's drinking because it looks pretty good. Right now I'm on the Terrapin Hopsecutioner. Uh, play off of the executioner, which happens to have a large terrapin uh, chopping off somebody's head with a guillotine on the front of it. But it's delicious. It's uh, hoppy, has a multi uh, kick to it, so it's probably not one of the hoppier beers that I've had. But it's it's a good one out of uh, out of Georgia, and I like it a lot. I think we got one more that we're going to get to at our next beer break. Uh, again, another IPA. I obviously bought the beers this week. Pete did them the last couple weeks, so I went the IPA route. So we're going to frame Purdue a little bit for you, and these are just kind of my thoughts, but some facts for you. Their coach is Daryl Hazel. He's a Jim Trestle disciple. Uh, He was at OSU before he got the head coaching job at Kent State, led them to one of their best seasons they've ever had, and then was hired by Purdue. He's had two full seasons there. The first one, he won one game. Last year he went three and nine, uh, so they're not great. But I would put Purdue as a team definitely on the rise, and in usually year three of a head coach, teams try to make a leap, and I think they are definitely capable of that. Uh, gives me a little bit of reason to be nervous about the matchup. But last season they so they won three games early on, three and three, and then after they beat Illinois for their lone Big Ten win. They played Michigan State and Minnesota, which were both good teams last year, like to the limit, like played them really tough. And after that, they just fell apart, um, mainly because of injuries. And who knows, maybe they just lost their spirit. But they lost their last six games, obviously missed bowl eligibility. I'm not sure that Purdue is better than 
any of the teams in the Coastal. No, no. And but to be fair, I think the Coastal is actually a decent division in terms of mediocre teams. I think all the teams in the Coastal are probably top sixty teams. That's why a lot of people are looking forward to this matchup this week because it it pins uh, you know the Big Ten, the Big Ten West, right up against uh, the Coastal and the ACC. Some are mocking uh, that matchup, but I think it's going to be a good one, and hopefully uh, we'll get to our picks later on, but it's meaningful. Yeah, and one other thing about Purdue is that they are loaded with sophomores and juniors, and it might be a good thing that we don't have that home-and-home with them because I think they're actually going to be a lot better next year than they are this year, and I think this year they'll be okay, and I think they're going to be flirting right with that top half of FBS uh, the 60 to 55 mark. Uh, and maybe they'll be better than that. It's hard to say they lost to Marshall in their first game and they beat an FCS team in their second game. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So I think, but first we're going to jump into, well, one more, one more piece of history. Oh, sure, yeah. I, I think if you don't mind, uh, the Purdue big bass drum, uh, that they revived, uh, is, is key to the history. If we're talking Absolutely. about Purdue, uh, ten foot drum. I guess it takes six people in the marching band to to operate this uh, this percussion monstrosity. What I'm kind of hoping, and this is not a slighted Purdue, is that they accidentally line it up where we come running out and they try and run our team tries to run through the drum. <laughs> Would be hilarious. So that's just that's just me. I uh, grew up a Penn State fan because my mother went there and we went to a bunch of games and both of my sisters actually attended Penn State as well. So. I've seen the drum on TV while watching Penn State games as a kid, and Purdue actually was always a tough team back then. Their mascot's Purdue Pete. We share a namesake. That's not completely cool, but whatever. It's that weird-looking <laughs> guy with the hard hat and the hammer. But anyway, uh, I think we're going to jump into the, to the actual preview now. The Purdue offense versus the Virginia Tech defense, I've mainly been looking at box scores, so it's hard for me to get a handle on the style that Purdue runs. I've read that they kind of are a pass first team, but then Bud was saying some stuff that made me kind of think they were a run first team. Robbie, do you have any insight on like the style that they run? Well, I, I I watched the whole game uh, from last week, them versus Indiana tech. I know it was, it was a great night last night that Indiana state or sorry, Indiana state. I mean, sorry, whatever. Well, (laughs) I think that's how much uh, I enjoyed the game as well. Uh, it was a mix. They, the announcers kept talking, and you kind of see it on the field, was they like to have a lot of different looks. Uh, they were shaking it up with their alignments almost on every play. There what didn't seem to be any leaning towards uh, a run or a pass first. Uh, the stats from the game actually aligned pretty well overall. From from their running game, you know, and you see a lot of screens. You saw some read option. They played some inside zone. It was not not good on the inside zone until their offensive linemen started actually, um, you know, getting some some push, and then it, it looked a little bit better. But it was a mixed bag on on the pass. Definitely the deep ball threat. We'll get into that. Um, I think the deep ball threat for them, Appleby, they being their quarterback, is. He may not be a solid all-around quarterback. Kid has a cannon. He's large. He's he's got some weight to him. He doesn't stay up the way that you would think of with a Cardell Jones or a Logan Thomas, where it's tough to take down. 
but he does have a running threat. He's a little bit mobile, um, and I think at the end of the day, that's going to be enough to keep our our defense a little bit on the heels uh, and and keep us a little bit wary of him him running it up the gut a little bit on some plays. What I noticed on about Appleby from what I read is that so last week he had a career high two hundred and eighty nine yards against the Sycamores of Indiana State, um, which is the College of Famous Larry Bird actually went <laughs> there. True. The finals against Michigan State. Anyway, uh, Appleby threw four TDs also last week, but the week before against Marshall, he threw four interceptions. And two pick sixes of those four yes. interceptions. And Marshall only won by 10, so really Purdue should have had that game. I think Robbie and I were at Tots watching the end of that game and watched basically them give it away yeah. uh, to Marshall. They did. Um, 90, 98 plays was another point that I, against Marshall, which is is high. So they they try and run a quick. It's not as speedy as you'll see in in Oregon and things like that. But they they run an up tempo offense a lot of times, and they have their formation set when they're going out there because they're switching it up and they aren't going huddled. They're they're changing it up and going right at it. One thing I saw was that some of the people who write for the Purdue blogs and stuff were saying that. Although Appleby had a pretty good day last week against an FCS team, he still made a lot of bad reads and got away with what could have been uh, an interception here or there. I'm not really too scared of Appleby. He doesn't bother me. I I do realize they have some good receivers, and the deep threat could be a problem, and we'll talk about that. But I think we're going to pick him off a few times. That was my takeaway, and... I want to make sure everybody knows I think we have a great secondary. I think this guy is a really good quarterback. His deep throws, he had three touchdowns for 50-plus yards. He threw one of his touchdowns. It looked like a B, the BYU toss. It was almost exactly 50, 50 yards in the air. I think it was pretty impressive, but that is also, I think, our strength. And I don't know that their wide receiving core is going to be fast enough or talented enough to to beat out our DBs. Right, and consider the opponents in Marshall who, after losing Raheem Cato and a bunch of players from a very good team last year, I don't we don't know how good they are. And Indiana State, while maybe an okay FCS team, I'm not, they're probably worse than Furman. I, I don't think they're that great. So uh, take from those what you will. But Appleby does have the size. He's got a good arm. He can move a little bit. He's not just stationary in the pocket. He can he can get outside and run on you a little bit. But players the players the watch. I think also yeah, let's is, do that. Yeah, two that come to mind right off the bat uh, are DJ Knox and Markel Jones, running backs. These are for those that have aren't familiar with them. JC Coleman kind of lookalikes. You got. One of them at 5'7", 197 pounds, another at 5'11". I think that's a little over. After watching the game last week, I think he might be 5'10", 207 pounds. But they are lower body strength, power runners. Uh, Purdue is coming off of last season, and even I think the season before with some speedsters that they like to get on the edge. These I can see, and from the game that I watched, are going to be more inside zone, maybe some outside zone uh, with some blocking. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not going to be running sweeps off the edge, and I don't think uh, we should have too much trouble containing them, which would be a strength of our team. Moving on to the wide receiver core, uh, D'Angelo Yancey, 
he's a bigger guy. I mean, he's 223 pounds. He's only 6'2", which kind of lines with most of our cornerbacks, our, our safeties. But he's got some weight on him. He might be able to throw that on a little bit. And he's a good quarterback or a cor- good wide receiver. He played well last week. Another guy I wanted to mention was Danny Anthrop, another one of their wide receivers. And last year, he was the best wide receiver for Purdue. They liked to stretch the defenses out last year. And one of the only things they had going was Anthrop deep. And he had a really, really good yards per catch. Um, And then he went down about midway through the season, and their offense fell apart. And so did their record. And when I told you earlier, they lost their last six games. So he's someone I definitely want to keep an eye on. I'm not sure if he's fully healthy after last year or not, but him and Yancey are definitely a duo in the wide receiving core that we should look out for. And another interesting note about the, the offense is that the offensive coordinator for Purdue, um, Shoup, used to be the offensive coordinator at UNC. So we've played in them a number of times, and they've seen a Bud Foster defense um, from 07 through 2011. And in those games, Tech... Uh, was four and one and held them to 15.6 yard uh 15.6 points per game so bud has a good handle on how to take care of this offense um that said it's not a surprise like you would see with some of the big 10 teams they've seen it once before at least a little bit and he's probably not playing with nearly the athletes that he had at unc i'm guessing so we'll see how that shakes out i think our defense is good enough to take care of their running game, but I will say they have a very stout offensive line. They actually returned their entire two deep from last year, so that's really impressive. They actually have a 400-pound offensive lineman. I don't know if he can move (laughs) at all, but All he has to do is fall forward if they make it to the red zone. He can stand there. Corey Clements is his name, 400 pounds. Can you believe that? But they have a good offensive line, so I'm not sure we're going to get a ton of sacks and as you know, Daddy and Akanum are without sacks through our first two games, but they might not get them this week either just because this offensive line is good. But I, I do think we're going to get pressure on Appleby. I do think we're going to focus on stop the run. I, I would expect to see a, the five-man defensive front, the Bear, maybe, you know, depending on what Bud wants to do. Seems like a perfect game for we're, him. We need, we need to make sure that we're not getting beat, beat on the outside with running plays again this week. And I think that'll be a focus for Bud. Um, Stop the run first. I think that's where it always starts. And if we can shake Appleby a bit, I think we'll get a few of those picks and be able to, you know, win the game on the turnover battle. Well, I think it's that time again. Beer clock. Uh, What are you uh, you drinking over there, Pete? I'm drinking the Widmer Brothers Brewing Company Upheaval IPA. It's described as a Northwest-style IPA. They're from Portland, Oregon. And... This is a really smooth IPA for being 7% alcohol. I They do a great would, job. You would never there. know. And Robbie was telling me this is they do about four different IPAs a year. Yeah, they do a rotator, seasonals. they do a rotator series where they rotate, you know, based on the season of just different IPAs. Uh I it's a great brewing company. I uh, I'm glad you like it. So. I really like the spirits. The Upheaval IPA. Really really good. What isn't very good <laughs> is the Purdue defense. Listen to that. Listen to that transition, <laughs> folks. That is how you do it. The Purdue defense versus the Virginia Tech offense. This actually might be a situation where the Virginia Tech offense has an advantage um, against a Power Five team that doesn't come very often. So it's nice to see. 
they've done some good things in their past couple games, but does anything about the Purdue defense scare you? No, actually. And the pause there was there's nothing that truly frightens me. I think I think their defensive line is good. I think their linebackers are okay. And I think their cornerbacks and safeties are undersized. Uh, so I think this is a chance for us to, to really make a statement, I hope, make a statement uh, with what we're going to do on offense. I think in particular, let's we're going to work it the opposite way from working back to front. Given the undersized cornerbacks uh, and safeties, I think this is a chance for Bucky, Klein, and Malik to do a lot. Um, given their size, I think Ford, with his extra weight and strength now, I think he can push people around and, and make some plays. So starting on that back end, I think we have a chance for Motley to, to make some deep passes. That's exactly what I was thinking. This is a game I think we could really see some big plays. One interesting thing about their defense is they've had 22 tackles for loss in their first two games, which is a shocking number. It's actually tied for number two in the nation. Now, they've played Marshall and Indiana State, but regardless, 22 tackles for loss is a ton. I still would tend to think that they have not faced a decent O-line yet, so I'm not going to get too worried about that. Their corners are a little bit of the ball hawking type uh, and their safeties are green. So they're about 10 pounds lighter than you would expect for their position almost across the board, except for, I think one, which is uh, their, their free safety, Robert Gregory, who's like 220. Yeah, other than that, they're all well under sub 200 pounds. I just think that it could be a feeding frenzy for Ford and Cam and Bucky. I think we'll have a lot of, mismatches and advantages in the defensive backfield, it will really be a question of will Motley have the presence and the time to make the throws. If he does, we could see multiple 40-yard, 50-yard gains in this game. I really believe that. Um, but Just, it's a big if. I mean, their defensive line is, is solid. It, it might be the best group on their defense. Their linebackers were young last year. One thing about Purdue was they, had, they were ravaged by injuries last year, just got crushed. They only had seven or eight guys that played in all 12 games. So they were able to build a lot of depth last year. The one issue is they're still very young, both on the defensive line and in the linebacking core. And their safeties, I don't think, started the game before the beginning of the season. Yeah. One other point that I want to say on the the defensive line was they get one of their ends back this year. Jalen Robinson was out for two games uh, on a DUI suspension he comes back. He's two hundred and fifty pounds, six one. He's a he's a he's a big. He was boy. one of their highest recruited players. He was a four star Purdue. Does and not most get a lot of four stars. and most experienced. He's been in, I think, for most you know, most games on that defense. We'll line. see what he can do. This is his first game back from the suspension. It's actually his second alcohol related incident that caused the suspension. Um, but he, he's a he talented, on this show. Though. He's a talented <laughs> player. Yeah, we're not going to judge him too much because I'm <laughs> pounding a beer as I'm saying this, but. Uh, Hey, watch it, Robinson. Uh, <laughs> he's a talented player, so it's someone we should definitely look out for. I really do think that this is a matchup that favors the Hokies. I think we can impose our will, especially in the second half, running the football on this defense, and that will open up a lot of things for Molly. I think it'll be kind of similar to last week in that the first half might be a little uglied up, and depending on whether if there's turnovers or the momentum – it could be tight, but in the second half, I think we will open it up 
and uh, be able to do some things on this defense. Another thing I wanted to point it out point out was Virginia Tech's road record, their true road record over the last two years, is seven and three. It's better than our home record, which is seven and six, uh, and it includes wins over six Power Five teams: GT, Miami, UVA, UNC, Duke, and of course Ohio State last season, as well as a win over ECU. We play well on the road. We play focused football on the road. And I don't expect this week to be any different. As I said, it might be a little bit of a tight first half, but I think we win this game and we win by 7 to 10 points. Oddly enough, that leads us right into our spreads for the week. (laughs) Here we are on the spreads. And Tech is a six-point favorite over Purdue. And... As I just said, I think we're going to win by 7 to 10 points, and I like Tech at minus 6. Take the Hokies. So it's on, on, on to me for my pick. I kind of agree with that. I think that we'll be able to open up things on the offense a little sooner this game after Motley has, has a full game underneath his belt. So I would expect Virginia Tech to actually pull out to a little bit of an early lead. I think uh, Purdue, given Appleby's arm, will – find a way uh, for better or for worse to, to beat our, our D backs and, and catch up a little bit in the game. And then we pull away solidly in the second half. So a little bit opposite of that. Uh, also I will, um, I'll go actually completely different. I'm picking Purdue to cover the spread Virginia tech to win. And this comes back to, uh, you know, a guy named Ty, Ty Hildenbrad on solid verbal that he always does that I believe with is you never, never pick, never pick your team to just, uh, you know, stomp an opponent. So I'm going with Purdue giving us a fight this week. Oh gosh. Jeez Louise. You think it's going to be like a three point game? It makes me nervous. Yeah. Or four, you know, safety. Somewhere. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I still like us and I'm going to take tech with, with, uh, to win by touchdown. As for the rest of the picks, there are a lot of fun games this week, and we're going to start with our ACC games. Clemson at Louisville. Clemson's number 11. They are six-point favorites against Louisville. Who do you like, Robbie? I have uh, Clemson to cover uh, the spread. They could Louisville could bounce back, but I really don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be all Clemson. They have looked bad this year. It's really been really bad. I'm taking Clemson to win by a touchdown at least. Next game, FSU at BC. FSU is number nine. They're seven and a half point favorites at BC. BC, a team that's given FSU a little trouble, uh, even when they were making their national championship run. I like FSU. Absolutely, I like FSU, but I I have BC covering the points really? on this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that they they just give everybody such a hard time. And here's an interesting fact: USC was number nine in the nation, just like FSU is right now. Last year when BC beat them. I just want everybody to remember that. Dalvin Cook is, you know, an amazing running back. But I have BC to cover. I have FSU, obviously, to win the game. So it's probably going to be a seven-point game. BC's played no one. I expect FSU to blow them up. Next game, Illinois at UNC. UNC is a surprising nine-and-a-half-point favorite. And I know Illinois has been much. But Illinois has been blowing their first two teams out, cover their spread by a ton. I like Illinois. At, even in Chapel Hill, I like Illinois. I also like Illinois. I, I'm going to go with it there because Marquise Williams in that first game, literally I had so much faith in him, and he threw 
two picks in in the in the red zone, not even in the red zone. I think there were touchdown passes and just completely burnt hopes against uh, South Carolina. And I'm a little vicious now. He's blown blown all my faith in UNC, which I had a lot at the beginning of the year. Next game is Northwestern at Duke, which is actually a really interesting game. Northwestern comes in at number 23, and Duke is three-and-a-half-point favorites. This is a tough one to pick. I actually took the Wildcats to to cover the spread, um, but I could go either way on this, but I'm going to take Northwestern. I know it's crazy again, but... I'm <laughs> I have I have Duke winning by 3. I think this is going to be a monster close game. So basically Northwestern's going to cover the spread but Duke's going to win outright. Northwestern's coming off that Stanford win which was huge, but these two teams, you got David Cutcliffe knows how to coach it. I think it's going to be a very very close game no matter the way it goes. Next game is Nebraska at Miami. This is a really fun game. Miami is Neg, uh, they're coming in at uh, three and a half point favorites, and I have not a lot of faith in the Hurricanes right now. I'm not really sure, but I like Nebraska. Um, I I got Miami here uh, on the three and a half. Nebraska after BYU, I I think that was they probably should have won that game. That was crazy. I I understand it, but. They had 511 yards that they led up against BYU. And I I somehow, you know, that game got a little bit exposed. It was a high yardage game, I understand it. But having a susceptible defense like that was kind of crazy. So, you know, I have Miami covering. Next game is a really good one. This is the number eight fighting Irish Notre Dame against Georgia Tech. And it will be in South Bend. Georgia Tech is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They come in at number 14. I think we're both going the same way. I mean, Notre Dame has been crushed by injuries. Uh, I'm taking Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. I don't think this is – yeah. They've lost their running back. Uh, We were just talking about Falston. Lost their quarterback, Zaire, for Notre Dame. I feel bad. Kaiser's a good quarterback, but there's – Georgia Tech is a really solid team. It would be an upset at this point if if Notre Dame pulls it out. That's that's basically it how it's shaken out and that's crazy that the number eight team would be an upset if they beat the number 14 team at home but nuts next game auburn lsu and after auburn's dreadful dreadful performance almost disastrous performance against jacksonville state dreadful and atrocious was the word that i wrote down right here it was still managed jacksonville state is obviously jsu is a powerhouse these days unbelievable this uh, going to death valley against lsu even though it's seven and a half points, I'm taking LSU to cover those seven and a half points. So I this is a just a random pick. I went for an Auburn bounce back, not because of talent, not because of you know their quarterback who's looked absolutely atrocious, but just a bounce back. I and you know what, you could be exactly right. And LSU like they won the game last week against Mississippi State, and I took them. And I just want to say my picks last week were awful. I think I lost every game except for the Oklahoma game. Thank you, Sooners. But uh, <laughs> LSU did not cover the spread. But I picked a lot of the winners, but none of them covered. And LSU is one of them. I'm still going to take the Tigers at home against a reeling Auburn team. I like LSU. Next game, Ole Miss at Alabama. Ole Miss can is we, number 15. Can we find a game I don't care anything about? No, these you know, are all this, such this, good this games. Is, no, this – actually, this is – I was being sarcastic. This is the only game I don't care about. I actually care about LSU-Auburn like more than this game. I'm just, 
Ole Miss just after this last year was such potential. a faker. Was just such a faker last year, and I just don't want to see. It. I I think Alabama is going to just curb stomp them, and I, not that I'm rooting for that at all. I just think it's going to happen. So yeah, Ole Miss is going to Tuscaloosa. They're number fifteen. Alabama's your number two team in the country, and Alabama six and a half point favorites. I actually like the Landshark defense and Ole Miss in this one, so we're going to differ on that. I think they'll keep it close, but I do think they will lose. Um, yep. But I like Ole Miss against the spread. Next game, BYU at UCLA. The spread on this is absurdly large. UCLA, while number 10 in the country, is facing a number 19 BYU team who has just had two great games back-to-back, two really, really <laughs> fun ending games. Fun ending games. Um, UCLA is a shocking 17-point favorite. That's how much UCLA was favored over UVA. So I'm a little perplexed by the spread, but clearly they don't think that the magic from BYU can keep up. I like BYU for that reason. Same here. Shame me once, shame me twice. Last last uh, week I took Bo- Boise State, and you know I got I got shamed I think twice uh, in that game. Uh, I have BYU covering. I'm going to take the points there. And the last game we're going to pick is our. Our last ACC game, and it's Pitt at Iowa. Iowa's a five-and-a-half-point favorite um, at home. I like Pitt even without James Conner. I like Pitt. This game just has like a 13-10 written all over it. Well, they lost lost that last year, right, against Iowa. They so did. it's kind of a revenge game for them. They lost Conner. They, they still have Tyler Boyd. I think they could. I think they could bounce back and just come out this game just really vicious so i have them i also just don't know anything about iowa like they are always the last few years they've always been kind of the same and you didn't watch that huge iowa iowa state game last weekend no what even happened (laughs) (laughs) but um no i was a good team i just i think pitt's gonna fire back with a lot of fury. They're pissed off. They lost their starting running back and they have a really good wide receiver. And I think in this game, they're, they're going to do it. I, I have, I'm covering them. I like Pitt. All right. That'll do it for the picks this week. Do we have any final notes we want to mention? Well, we had, we sifted through all of our user comments again and decided to uh, pick one. Uh, it was a narrowing down process, but we went with the, Paper airplane question about uh, at Virginia Tech, Lane Stadium, Worsham Field, and how people thought about that. There was there's a lot of energy about this on both sides. Here's where I'm falling out. Uh, I don't think Pete really has an opinion here. I care about the reputation of Lane Stadium of Virginia Tech football. So if students are sitting around twiddling their thumbs and making paper airplanes and throwing them around during the game, it's not the best look for Virginia Tech because yeah, there's other things you could be doing uh, either during the game watching it or uh, in halftime uh, drinking alcohol, not that we're uh, you know proponents of that. So I'm not that big of a fan of it, but... People will do what they want to do, and uh, that's about all the thoughts I have on it. And that'll pretty much do it for the podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter. We're at 2DeepVT, and make sure you send us any email questions or comments you might have. It's 2DeepVT at gmail.com. Make sure to tune in next week. We're going to be recapping the Purdue game and previewing the hated ECU Pirate game, as well as 
have a. I uh, think Florida hates it more at this point after almost yeah. almost uh, falling out on that game. They've played them twice in a couple of months now after they played them in a bowl game. But uh, tune in next week for the song and for our preview for the ECU game. And until then, go Hokies. Thank you.